Welcome to the Tiger for Life podcast, where we'll hear stories from Washingtonians from their favorite food at Waltz or the CAF to their favorite Tiger Tunes shows and professors. We'll also find out what they've been up to outside the famed Washita bubble. I'm your host, John Merriman, Washita's Director of Alumni Relations. Today on the Tiger for Life podcast, Chaplain James Bearcat Reynolds from the class of 1971 shares memories from his time on campus as the first black member of the Washita football team and reflections on his more than two decades of ministry as a chaplain, including years of ministry on death row. All right, James Bearcat Reynolds, welcome to the Tiger for Life podcast. Thank you. A lot of people have been uh, talking about your post with, with Lori Modell, shared about your visit to campus recently. Tell me what the the story is behind the name Bearcat. How'd you get that, that nickname? Well, I am a graduate of Horace Mann, and, and uh, they were the Bearcats. Okay. When I first came to Washita, no one knew my name. But they knew that I was from uh, Horace Mann and, and that our mascot was Bearcat, and it just caught on. And uh, eventually there were, I don't know, about three or four of us from uh, Horace Mann who, who came that summer. Uh, and I am the only one that that stayed the uh, the entire year. Well, I, I take that back. Bruce Swinton was a quarterback. Uh, he was the uh, coach's son from Horace Mann. And, uh, but Bruce only played on the freshman team. And uh, I am the only one that, uh, that was on, on the uh, varsity team. Uh, so I really traveled. Uh, as the only black on that bus by myself. Wow. But Bearcat came out of that because uh, our mascot coming out of Little Rock was Bearcat. And it just, it still sticks. (laughs) (laughs) So people still call you Bearcat today? Oh, yes, yes. That's fun. How did you hear about Washtenaw? How did you get connected with the school and, and come to play football here? Well, I was recruited by uh, by Washita. My brother was two years older. He's a 65 graduate of Horace Man. I'm a 67 graduate. My brother was recruited by Oklahoma State uh, and played there. So I, I assume uh, that Washita being ready uh, to bring some uh, African-American players into the system. Uh, I probably was recruited because my father was a minister. And uh, I assumed that, that maybe they thought I would, would be uh, wise enough, seasoned enough, trained enough to endure. And uh, quite honestly, they were correct. Uh, because, uh, But I was recruited by by Coach Benson, as uh, as was mentioned at one point, uh, I stayed maybe about uh, the entire summer session uh, when they chose, uh, just before they chose uh, who would be the participants of a scholarship, and uh, I did not get a scholarship. Uh, so I packed my bags and, and I went home 
And uh, I don't know, it, it might not have been a good uh, two or three days later, Coach Benson came to Little Rock. I can still see that in my mind. <laughs> uh, he, uh, my father and myself, sat in that, in that room, and uh, my father looked at me after the converse, conversation and said, you're going back. <laughs> and so uh, I went back. And uh, my first semester, uh, I had to pay for financially, but the second semester, I got a scholarship, and I was on scholarship ever since. What was it like being, you know, one of the first African-American students on the football team and even, you know, even at Washtenaw? What was it like during that time for you? <laughs> well, I was raised in a black neighborhood walked to a black elementary school through a black neighborhood. I walked through a black neighborhood to a middle school, Dunbar Junior High School. I walked through a black neighborhood to an all-black high school, Horace Mann. And when I came to Washington, I was in a culture shock. <laughs> I bet. You know, just... Uh, and, and I give you an example. I thought I didn't need as much rest as uh, as most of those players. I remember. Uh, I can't remember if it were uh, somewhere in the season. My first season there, uh, we played on a Saturday, and uh, when we played on a Saturday. At home, we would go to supper and come in and lock down until the next morning breakfast. Well, I reasoned again, I didn't need as much rest as everybody else. Uh, Henderson was having a dance that night, and I decided let them rest. I'm going to the dance. Coach Benson would come by and you could, you could hear his, you drove an old Volkswagen. Uh, you could hear it coming and leaving. <laughs> and he would come. I got in the bed and covered myself uh, to make it look as though I was sleeping. And he came, opened the door, and then closed it. And then I waited to hear that Volkswagen leave. He left. When he left, I went out the window, closed it. I had parked my car at the adjacent uh, complex, got in there, went to the dance, and did not realize Arkadelphia is a small town. <laughs> and everybody knew Bearcat. And when by the time that I got back after the dance, went through that window, and as I turned to let the shade down, the light came on. Oh, no. And here was Coach Benson. And his first words were, pack your bags. You're moving to the other side of the dorm. You're off the team. My heart dropped. Oh. Without reason, what am I going to tell my father? And so I started to pack. And he came back in and, and said, well, just sit down. I'm fixing to have a team meeting. 
and we will decide whether or not you stay on this team. And I guarantee you, I've always been a praying person. I prayed. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe 35, 40 minutes later, Coach Benson came back. And he said, well, all of the players have agreed to keep you on the team. I was so relieved. And he said, but you'll have punishment, which is you won't play in the game tomorrow. He said, secondly, I don't know if you know anything about bear crawling. That's where you get down on hands and feet and you crawl around. Uh, at that time, we, we practiced at, in the baseball field. You crawled around the baseball field. Well, two things happened. One was by halftime, I was playing. <laughs> and then secondly, uh, I did have to back crawl around that fence maybe for three or four days. But I guarantee you, Miss Benson has always been a mother to all of us. And after I back crawled around that fence and went in and took a shower, she was there to comfort me. And, and so I appreciated that. But uh, it's one of those growing experiences where in culture shock, you grow up quick. <laughs> but uh, other, other than that, uh, one of my best friends uh, was David Straub. David was the offensive guard from Melvin. Uh, David eventually became uh, a pharmacist. And uh, David, I, I would come from class and David would be in my room on my bed sleep. Uh, he loved Rita Franklin and he, I would have an album and then he would be playing that album and go to sleep on that album. But uh, David and I and several others became very good friends. They helped me through the experience. And I'll tell you something else that was an adjustment was simply Traveling on the bus, who do you sit by? Hmm. Sleeping in the hotel, who stays in the same room with you? You know, those were those were major adjustments for all of us. And as I retrospectively look, we helped each other grow up through those experiences. All of those uh uh, players and myself, we were each other's first experience because most of them came from schools uh, where there were no blacks. So we grew up together. But I think one of the the uh, great foundations is that we had a Christian coach uh, who had love for his players. And uh, he was just the right person for that time. And uh, he brought us through it. And I'll tell you another experience uh, that blacks had on campus. At that time, none of us were members of social clubs. You know, they, they didn't have uh, fraternities at Washington, just social clubs. Mm -hmm. And uh, none of us as blacks had invitations to join social clubs. Hmm. Uh, and so we decided to organize our own social club. 
uh, and we called it the Black American Student Society. It still exists, I think, uh, maybe three or four years ago, they decided to uh, change the name uh, to be more inclusive of minorities, period. But uh, I am one of the charter members uh, of that organization, and uh, and and we um, we learn to mingle and support each other. Through it was an organization of support uh, where we will help each other just get through the week, get through the day, and uh, and survive, and certainly to graduate. Now there there was one other. Athlete, uh, came think of it now. He was a basketball uh, player. He's the first black basketball player to graduate from from uh, Washington. His nickname was Falk, huh? and uh, between Falk and myself, we became uh, the 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 leaders of the uh, black students at Washington, and and we just we supported each other and just learned to survive. Yeah, that there are some great founding members that I've met over the years from that group, and uh, it's always fun to have you all back on campus for reunions and things. Such a such a tight knit group. Yeah, I tell you what, I was surprised when I was on the team. There were about uh, forty two, forty three. I don't know football players, and when I went back the other day and look at a picture of last year's football team. I was amazed with all 80-something players out there. That was – and then the number of black players that, that were on the team, uh, they, they've come a long way. But I, I tell you, the, the coach there now, Knight, is a spitting image of Coach Benson. They're two <laughs> – they are two of a kind. So it, there is no wonder that he could make the adjustment and help those young black players to uh, to uh, acclimate into the system as well. Yeah, it seems like if you're going to be a, a good coach, it's almost all encompassing. Like Coach Benson, you know, checking on y'all and and oh yeah. Benson, I mean, tell us about what it was like uh, playing under Coach Benson. Some of our Washtenaw folks knew him, but a lot of our younger alums may not be familiar with him. So tell us about Coach Benson and. Mrs. Benson and the difference they made in your life. Coach Benson and initially in my thing was tough as nails uh, in that, for example, I I can remember he didn't like slothfulness. He didn't like lazy players. And, and once we had a, a, a player who was always claiming to be injured, and we were practicing, and and this player pretended to be injured, and Coach Benson left him there and moved the scrimmage to another part of the field and just left him <laughs> on the ground. But Coach Benson, uh, he was so inclusive. What he did for one, he did for all. And he used to have the habit, of coming in the lunchroom and approaching his players in front of their friends. And he would ask them, he'd get right in, in your face and ask them, are you tough? And they would all say, yes, sir. And then he would hit them in the stomach. 
as, as an indicator that if you're tough, you can take a lick. And I thought, I know he's not going to do that to me. <laughs> but sure enough, one day, and, and you know, as, as a uh, black group, we sat in one particular area, and I saw him out of the peripheral vision coming that way. I thought, no, he's not. I know he's not. And then I pretended not to see him. He stood up beside me and said, Bearcat, stand up. And I stood up and turned his way, and he asked that question, are you tough? And I said, yes, sir. And I thought, no, he's not. It, he's not going to do that, is he? And he did. He hit me. <laughs> in the stomach in front of my friends and all I could do was take it. <laughs> and, and, but I, I, I tell you a, a, another story of experience that, that we had uh, as told to me by Jim Rankino. Jim Rankino was a political science professor. He was also one of the coaches. Uh, he, he just did that because he loved football. But Jim was one of my best professors. I mean, Jim was awesome. But Jim tell, told me the story after I had graduated that we had played Mississippi College in Clinton, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. uh, we had won the game. And, and I, I know it was harsh because you had uh, all of these Mississippi uh, uh, people around the edges of of the field, in addition to to being in seats in the Coliseum, and I ran a touchdown. And as I was going back toward the bench, one of those uh, spectators called me the N-word and said, you sure can run. I had, I had to take it. But after, and we did win the game. We left that stadium going through Lake Providence, Louisiana, where we were supposed to eat. We stopped at uh, a restaurant there, which is part of a hotel, and Jim Rankino tells the story that they wanted me to eat in the kitchen. Coach Benson refused and called ahead uh, to a restaurant in Arkadelphia. And we had to drive all the way back to Arkadelphia to eat. But I, Jim Rankino told me that story. Uh, but I, I, again, that's Coach Benson. What he did for one... He did for all, and he was certainly a father. I was one of three former athletes who did his eulogy. Hmm. And I, I told them there, he was my white father, hmm. and he treated me like his son. And I, I, I really I appreciate he was second to none probably the best coach that I've ever had.
That's great. Yeah. What, what was it like? I know you told a couple of stories about Mrs. Benson kind of being a, a caretaker to the players. What, what do you remember about her and the way that she took care of y'all? Woo. Miss Benson was motherly. She, she was kind, very soft, and she was supportive of players. And whenever Coach Benson would be harsh on us, she was always there to soften things up. I, I remember we had some kind of, it might have been a Christmas party at the um, golf club there in 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 uh, in Arcadia, and uh, I was I, I went, and uh, Miss Benson was there and treated me like a king. I I really felt a part of you know because in some places, especially then, people would try to let you know that you were different. But Miss Benson always lets you know you want a mind. You want a mind. And I will never forget her. I love her. When I came there the other day, uh, it didn't dawn on me, but I, I've got to come back so I can go and sit in, sit in her presence. Because, again, it was an honor for her to ask me to be one of the students, former students who eulogized Coach Benson. So that that was a great honor for the Bearcat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so great having her, you know, still in, in town and we see her all the time and she comes to the games and cheers everybody on. Yeah, yeah. Her heart is that. And she has a heart. She oh, a loving heart because most of all, she's a Christian. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that was another thing Coach Benson required. You go to church. <laughs> you go to church. And then right after church, we would have to go to that field house and uh, have a little loosening up and then go to Chalk Talk watching, watching films. But uh, uh, he kept us together at at the family. You know, we have a little segment on our podcast. We just asked kind of five questions about your time at Washtaw. Do you have a favorite spot on campus, a favorite place here at, at Washtaw that you love? Yeah, the, the student union. Uh-huh. <laughs> the student union back then was, was where you could meet uh, other students uh, and, and just fellowship talk, compare notes. Uh, sometimes study with with somebody else uh, who knew maybe a little bit more than you. Uh, we had a, a a jute box in there where we could you know play play songs and and, uh, and then we would play some some games and so that was probably my my most favorite my most unfavorite spot would practice field. <laughs> 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 but but uh we yeah we love to we love to go there and, and and to come on that campus now i tell you what was the the development uh it's amazing the field house looked like a professional gym to me yeah. You know, when I was there, 
uh, in order to strengthen your legs, you would lay on your back. And the Coach Benson had two huge railroad cars tied. And you would, on a piece of sheet metal, and you would lay on your back and push that up. And then for uh, uh, to strengthen your neck, he had a small railroad car that would put on a uh, a gadget that attached to your head, and you know you would exercise with with that. We had makeshift thing, <laughs> and and to compare what they have now with what we have is unreal. It's just amazing that the, and then the 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 football stadium with with an elevator. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, but but I, I tell you, I, I respect uh, its name because I played with Cliff. Mm. Uh, and, and Cliff was at Washington was just like they said in pro. He loved to hit you. <laughs> and when Cliff hits you, you typically were in pain. Mm. Now, you, may, you, you, you tried not to show it, but you were in pain. <laughs> You were in pain, uh, but and and then either another. I appreciate the experiences that that we had together as well. That's great. Yeah, that stadium sure is nice. We we enjoyed it, and we we actually, you know, when Cliff came to tear down the old one, did you hear about him coming to tear down the old stadium? No, he he got behind a some big you know equipment and tried to knock it down. And they had even like unsoldered all of the metal so it would fall down, but he he would ram it and it wouldn't come down. We thought that thing would fall down in a storm, but he just kept taking pieces out of it. it took hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was out of his element. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, was there a favorite play, favorite football play, or a favorite game that you played that just sticks in your mind? A uh, team that we played against. Yeah, or some or a moment, you know, playing football that really sticks out. If it was a Henderson game, or you know, some kind of m- memorable play. Well, there was there was, I believe, my junior year when we played Henderson, and Henderson had two linebackers that were brothers, uh, and they were very tough. Uh, and typically, you know that when you get on the goal line, Bearcat is going to run it. And the problem was one of those fellows was an All-American. And when I left that game, I was in pain. But they did not stop me from getting across to that goal line. And we were so thrilled to win the Battle of the Ravine. You know, generally, we would take a bus from the field house to Henderson's field. But when we won that game, we ran all the way back to the locker room <laughs> and, and left, left the bus. Uh, that, that's probably one of my experiences. And I'll tell you, uh, uh, Another one, we played uh, University of Central Arkansas once, and uh, that that might have been my sophomore year, where I was just uh, beginning to run uh, run the run the football. 
on the second play of the game, I ran probably a 60 or so yard touchdown and somebody on our team was holding. Oh no. And we had to bring it all the way back. And the quarterback called the same play. I was I was out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> but he called the same play, you know, you do what you got to do. But, uh, but again, that's one of those games that we won. And, and uh, you, you just remember how tough it was to win it. Uh, I know Coach Benson made a huge impact in your life. Was there a favorite professor during your time? Uh, Jim Rankino. Jim, yeah. Yeah, because, uh, you know, Jim was a political analyst with a television station. He did research, had a, had a research uh, business, and and uh, I took several political science courses uh, under, under Jim. And then when I graduated, he provided lots of opportunities to do research. Until uh, to, to the point where uh, one of my friends and I developed our own research organization, trying to be like Jim. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Jim was, and and then when we organized uh, our uh, or, organization, Jim was was our faculty representative. Okay. Yeah. So and and Jim was always supportive, very supportive. Um, and and helped me make a lot of adjustments. You know, when I was troubled, I could always go to Jim. And uh, if he did no more than listen, he listened. Because, again, it was new experiences for all of us. But Jim was a listening ear. Uh, when I couldn't take it to Coach Benson, I took it to Jim. Hmm. Uh, and Which is amazing how God always provides help when you need it. And I look retrospectively again at uh, what he has allowed me to do. Uh, I've done a lot. I've been a lot of firsts in a lot of situations. And it's amazing how I see where he prepared me. Uh, Not to mention my father, because, you know, every time the door of the church opened, my father had, had me there. But uh, e- even with that, coming to uh, coming to to Washita uh, was part of preparation for me. I explained to to the president that uh, when I was in high school in gym class, we used to have these uh, white bobby socks uh, that we called it, and after about the fifth or sixth wash. Uh, those socks are all out of shape. We put rubber bands on the top of them to hold the socks on. And, and I told him, coming uh, to Washita, I was like those socks. Those socks never got the same shape anymore. They were stretched. Hmm. And coming to Washita, began a stretching experience for me that has not stopped even now. Now, in addition to uh, Washita being the first 
black player to graduate from Washita. I am the first black intern, chaplain intern for the Southern Baptist Convention at uh, Commons Prison. Hmm. I am the first black chaplain on death row. I've been through uh, 10 executions. And I am the first black chaplain uh, at uh, where I am now. It's Pulaski County Regional Detention Center. So I've been the first. I've been stretched uh, throughout all of those experiences. And I, I share one experience that I had as chaplain on death row, because I, I guarantee you, I had gone to seminary and then came back into that internship and was preparing to go back to Southwestern to finish my seminary training. And the chaplain at the maximum security prison resigned. And the director of chaplains services for the state asked me to apply for that. And I told him, I don't qualify for that. Hmm. And he said, apply. And I did and got the position. But now, during those times, there was one death row inmate. Once you went on death row, there were 41 inmates on death row. My, I don't know, seventh or eighth execution was uh, Richard Snell. Now, Richard Snell was part of a subversive group the fellow who did the bombing in Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. uh, he, he was part of that group. Mm. Uh, and in fact, was well, a former Lutheran, McVeigh Mac, is who I'm trying to think of, right, right. did the bombing in Oklahoma City. But he was, uh, Richard Snell was part of that group, uh, very subversive, uh, racist group. And uh, when... Anytime I went on death row, most of the inmates expected me to talk with them, except Richard Snell. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first couple of months I went by his cell, Richard Snell would turn and walk to the back, turn his back to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I just, I just took it. And because... Being a chaplain on death row was so new. You know, I, I, I initially went in as a chaplain on death row thinking, you murdered, you reap what you sow. Mm-hmm. Uh, during those years, I eventually changed. And my attitude now is uh, I don't support the death penalty because it's not equally given. Mm. It's unfairly given to poor folk. Uh, so I, I oppose it. Nevertheless, with Richard Snell, maybe after a couple of months, he stayed in front of the cell when I came by and he said, Chaplain, I thought you were just like any old dumb in. Hmm. And you know, that bear cat came out in me and I wanted to tell the devil, let me in this cell. (laughs) (laughs) 
let me show him who I, but I took it again, like that salt. The Lord was stretching me. Mm. And, and I eventually learned to express love to him in a way, because the bottom line is Christ died for him too. Mm. And so in a time that they got ready to execute an inmate, they would bring several state police and uh, they put the inmate in a, uh, in a, in a Department of Correction vehicle and transport them to Cummins from Tucker. Uh, death Row was at Tucker then, but the execution chamber was and still is at, at Cummins Prison. But when it came time to execute Snail, that subversive group had sent a threat to the governor. Jim Guy Tucker was governor at that time. And in order to protect uh, Richard Snell from being delivered or, or, or set free, they sent two helicopter pilots and they landed one in the prison yard while the other stayed above protecting that one. Wow. And they, uh, be, but before Richard Snell left, he called me over to that uh, prison because I was living on the prison yard. He called me over and apologized to me hmm. for the way he had treated me. Now, God is awesome. Do you hear me? Wow, yeah. And I, yeah. Uh, but eventually he was, he was executed. But uh, executions were some tough experiences, but uh, I, I thank the Lord for bringing me through again. Uh, when you look back over your life, Washita helped me prepare because in spite of what others in the world were thinking about Blacks, I had at least a coach and his wife and some players who love Bearcat in spite of. And when you're loved, you know how to appreciate love. And then you also know how to express it mm. to somebody else. And and so I'm I'm thankful uh for for that as well, because I was stretched. Mm. I was stretched at, at Washita. And for that I I had two presidents, Dr. Phelps and Dr. Grant, who you know worked through worked through those processes of stretching with me, and I, I appreciate again both of them. Yeah, how did you get from you know studying political science and and graduating from Washington? How did you get from there to being a chaplain? What was that process like? Well, uh, I I was a typical Bearcat after. Graduation, you know, I, I I got um I went to the Houston Oilers for a very short while, mm -hmm. and with with an attitude of of I'm going to be a professional. I was following Cliff <laughs> <laughs> in my in my mind, yeah. Uh, but in the process, uh, was, was of 
was a football player. Wow. A football player. And I acted like a wild football player. Uh, but when the Lord gets ready uh, to call you into service, you know, he knows how to humble you. And uh, in, in I eventually, I became administrative assistant uh, in city manager's office in Little Rock. I then went to Howard University after a couple of years to work on a master's. And while there, another Washita basketball player, Tommy Patterson, uh, was playing professional basketball with uh, Team Den, which the Baltimore Bullets back back then in, in the early 70s. And uh, my turning point, basketball players, football players, perfect, love to party. Mm -hmm. And I went to a party one night in the Washington. I was living in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. Went to a party and dropped some pills of some kind, drinking alcohol. And on my way back to my apartment, I had an accident. I was barely making enough money to live on. I tore up two brand new tires on my car. And uh, it was in that experience, had to go to the hospital and just was suffering in a city that I was a stranger and could no longer go to classes, had to come back home. Hmm. And out of that experience, I was on my knees hmm. and uh, talked with my father and, and just gave up and accepted my calling at that point. And uh, then from there moved to uh, El Dorado and, and was the only, when I first moved to El Dorado, <laughs> the only job I was found was I was a cowboy on a Brahma Bull ranch. Wow. <laughs> you talk about when the Lord gets ready to call you, he humbles you. He humbled me. Mm. He humbled me. And uh, out of that, uh, I accepted my calling, started taking uh, classes, uh, driving to Little Rock, taking classes, and uh, started pastoring. Hmm. Uh, back in the uh, the early 80s, I started pastoring. and But then one amazing experience I had in pastoring, I had a dream once. And in the dream, saw myself going to seminary, but I reasoned. <laughs> I didn't think twice about it because the route of progression uh, in that area amongst black preachers was you accept a small church, you look toward a larger church that can pay you a little bit more. And I was looking at that route of progression. Going to seminary was not included thought I understood my calling, you know, just to pastor. Uh, but eventually I was, I was pastoring. I was working for um, oil refinery in Northland, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. I had a lawn maintenance business. Now I was doing well financially. But then 
the oil refinery went bankrupt. And I had to come out of Eldorado and move back to, to Little Rock. And then in that process, one of my classmates was pastoring a very large church, and I became his assistant. And in the process, he sent uh, my wife and I to uh, Fort Worth because the federal government was developing a program. He was, the, pre, the pastor was, was developing a, a shelter for battered women, and the federal government had a grant program, and, and he sent my wife and I there to learn about that grant program. Before I went, a, a Washington graduate friend of mine, uh, I, I shared it with him, and he said, my brother is in Fort Worth, and he said, when you get there, call him and, and that'll be good for lunch. I said, okay, you talking my talk. <laughs> and and so I got there, called him and, and set up in the lunch appointment and, and we met. And in the process, he said, have you ever considered going to the seminary? I said, well, yeah, kind of, but I, I can't see how to pay for it. And he said, I'm a seminary professor. Blew my mind. I knew that was God. I knew that was God. And so afterwards, I fill out an application. That might have been in uh, February. By May, I was in summer school. Wow. And, and, and then uh, my wife had refused to go. I went by myself for a year. And our relationship was getting thin. And, and I had to come back home, and that's when I met the director of chaplaincy services for the Southern Baptist Convention. He hired me on the spot. <laughs> the program wasn't supposed to start until that September, but he hired me on the spot. And I have since learned that was the Lord changing my direction mm. and establishing my ministry. Now, at first... I thought maybe this is not the ministry I'm supposed to be in. And I'll tell you why. Uh, we had a chapel area at Cummins that was outside of the prison. And uh, inmates could come out and go to the, we had a library, they visited the library, they could go into the chapel and, and pray. It did not dawn on me at that time that it was, it was summer, it was hot. And that, the, uh, the uh, chaplain supervisor asked me, he said, chaplain, go out and tell the inmates to go back. It's time to go back inside. I said, okay. And I went out and going by each individual inmate, said, it's time to go back in. But there was just one inmate. It didn't dawn on me. It's hot and he got a blanket over him. And he was a black inmate, and I said, "Brother, it's uh, it's time to go back inside." And he took that blanket off and had a shake in his hand, and he said, "I'm not your GD brother." Oh, and I just kind of ease back in the chapel and locked the door and and called for the for the officer to come and get him. But then it, I started to question. Am I really supposed to be in this? Uh, but eventually I got past it and, and, and to the point 
where I had no fear. Hmm. You know, because you can't operate in that ministry in fear. And I just just grew beyond that. But again, as part of that stretching. Wow, that's that's wild. How did you what was the transition like from Cummins to uh, where you are now? Well, again, when I, when I finished seminary, I came back and was chaplain at uh, Wrightsville Prison. But all of the while, wanted to pastor. <laughs> and uh, that, was, that was a uh, uh, nice congregation in the inner city, Little Rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, their pastor was retiring. And I started to talk with him, and, and he asked me to apply. And I said, okay. And I thought, I'm coming out of chaplaincy to uh, Baxter. Mm-hmm. And uh, and was called. And, and, he, and really stayed there five years. The worst five years of ministry I've had, I guarantee you. <laughs> Nevertheless, a, a um, Henderson graduate, uh, and I had, he was working, his name was Randy Morgan. I uh, played football against him uh, at Henderson, and uh, he was, one, had, was an administrator at several prisons when I was chaplain in the prison. Well, he came to uh, the Plas County Jail as the administrator, and I went to visit an inmate there once, and uh, he started developing uh, requirements for a chaplain there to open up. And he asked me eventually, would you apply? And I told him, well, not, not right now. But as I was leaving that same day, there was a, um, an older black lady who had a son in the prison system that I had dealt with. And I passed her, and she said, when are you going to come back home? Hmm. And I thought, come back home? What you mean? She said, you know you're supposed to be in prison or jail ministry? You're not supposed to be pastoring? And I knew that was the word from the Lord. And so eventually, as Randy Morgan and I developed the credentials and the program there at, at uh, for chaplaincy at the jail, then I accepted position. And uh, by the 14th of September would have been there 19 years. Wow. 19 years. So, again, it's when you learn your purpose in life and you you go where you're supposed to go and do what you're supposed to do, there is great joy and uh, great contentment hmm. and uh, great peace at night. I, I can deal uh, in the uh, in the adjustment of, uh, that I see in life, not in the individuals, the different generations, uh, because now there are, there's a generation of inmates uh, that are a lot harder than I've ever seen before. I've got uh, 15, 16, 17-year-old inmates 
uh, for capital murder. Wow. Just, just unreal. And you, when I talk with them to see, how did you get here? You know, mm-hmm. what, what happened? What, what didn't happen? Uh, it's confusing. And, and again, it's just part of that struggle. Uh, that that we are all in because according to the text, you wrestle not with flesh and blood, mm. and so it's part of the struggle that uh, that people are wrestling with, and uh, these the the family uh, structure uh, in a lot of places is broken. Mm. Well, in, when I was raised, next door was uh, my grandmother and grandfather, deacon. Next door to him was an uncle, deacon. Next door to him was an uncle and aunt, usher. And, and they all raised each other's children. We are, you know, you couldn't walk through the community without getting instructions and a report back if you were acting foolish. Mm-hmm. They got back to you. <laughs> to, and, and they were allowed to whoop you as well, uh, but that 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 structure is gone. It's gone, and and people have become more selfish, uh, and and these young people are so spoiled with stuff, with stuff, and and especially even now in in this crisis. Uh, that we're going through. You you had parents uh, who were working and gave their children stuff. Uh, now they're unemployed, mm. and their children can't get stuff. Uh, so, and then young these young kids are not in school, locked up in the house, and they come out doing stuff that seemed to be exciting. And and the end result is. Uh, they don't have video games. They break in somebody's house and take one. Hmm. You know, so crime has has increased as a result. And the end result is they come my way. Hmm. And uh, most of my counseling, in addition to inmates, is single mothers whose children are locked up in jail. And, and matter of fact, throwing their lives completely away. Seventeen-year-old capital murder, and and then get a sentence of thirty years, and and had to do ninety percent of it. Mm-hmm. But again, it's I've learned how to do what I can do, and then come home. Mm-hmm. Uh, my great enjoyment is just coming home, trying. I love to cook. And to come home and figure out what I'm going to cook, go to the store, go to Walmart and shop and pick it up and then come home and prepare it. That's my great joy because I know the next morning I got to get up and go back to that jail. Hmm. But uh, that's how I got there. Uh, and I'm asked often, when are you going to retire? And I said, what is that? <laughs> you, you know, it, on the football team, as long as you were in the game, you, you were considered a player. But now, if you sat on the bench, you just made up a number. 
And in ministry, if you're on the bench, your next move is heaven. I'm not ready yet. I want to go there, <laughs> but I'm not ready just yet. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, so great to hear your your story and how you know God spoke to you in all these different ways and has led you to where you are now. So um, I know that our folks are going to love hearing from you, hearing that story. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to tell your Washtenaw family, you know, other alumni and, and friends of the university? Again, I'm a stretch person and I appreciate uh, my generation was taught to appreciate. And uh, even though I had some tough times at, at times, I can still appreciate uh, the lessons that I learned uh, because I know that uh, the Lord sent me there and kept me through those experiences. And I'm just, I'm thankful. I talk, my son, my son is a, uh, he's in the reserve. Uh, he has his bachelor's degree and he's also a deputy at the county jail. <laughs> and, uh, but we sit just uh, Wednesday and uh, had a long conversation, uh, and I can appreciate the wisdom that's in him uh, and how he has matured, and I thank the Lord, and, and my daughter as well. My daughter retired as a major uh, in the Army, mm. uh, and both have been on uh, Afghanistan and and. Uh, uh, my son went to uh where they've been they've been deployed several times and come back and still have some balance in the in their life. Thanks so much for uh making time to do this and you know just loved hearing your story. Thanks for you know carrying the washdaw torch everywhere you go and making a difference in the lives of all these inmates and things. So yeah. I appreciate you so much. Well, that's that's what we were taught at Washington. Make a difference. Mm. Make a make a difference. And uh, again, I appreciate that and all of the people there that that helped make me become who I am now. Mm. And thank you for taking the time uh, to to hear my story. Yes, appreciate you sharing it so much, and uh, just uh, thankful for you. And hope you have a great great day. Thanks again. Okay, you too. God bless you. God bless you. All right. Thanks for listening to the Tiger for Life podcast. Be sure to rate and subscribe so you won't miss out on future episodes.